Morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm so glad to be with you here this morning, third Sunday of Advent, as we preach about Isaiah 11, the Spirit of the Lord on dead things bringing new life. Really excited about a message that God has for you, and uh, this theme of now arriving has been an important one for us, challenging as we look at Isaiah, the poetry, how to bring a word. But today, God has given me a strong word of encouragement and challenge for us in the room. So we pray, and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your gathered people. Thank you, God, that you've been gathering your people to celebrate your name and your spirit for thousands of years. And we pray, God, that you would do that work now, that you would open up our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts to encounter you. Lord, we want a touch of your spirit this morning. We're hungry and we're thirsty. And all God's people said, amen. Now arriving week three, new fruit from the spirit. New fruit from the Spirit. I don't know if uh, you've been hearing this phrase around town. You know, are you, are you in the Christmas spirit? This is kind of a common phrase in the church, in school, in the workplace. You know, how, you, how are you feeling with the Christmas spirit? Well, last weekend, we went down to kind of get our dose of the Christmas spirit. We headed downtown uh, to Sunday after church, fight the crowds downtown Seattle. Why? For the Christmas spirit. Uh, we went, you know, the, there's the gingerbread houses at the uh, Sheridan. Anyone seen the gingerbread houses, okay? The Whoville theme, like to get in the Christmas spirit. I waited for two hours in line for a little dose of that Christmas spirit. I wasn't feeling real spiritual when I walked into the Whoville you know, uh, gingerbread houses. It, it was neat. My kids enjoyed it. And then we went over to see Santa. Again, just trying our best to get into the Christmas spirit. We got our, our names in line. They texted us, you're almost there, which meant we went back to wait two hours to see Santa. So four hours for the Christmas spirit, downtown Seattle. I'm waiting in line. My family would like come and check me in, and they're, you know, they're out shopping and sipping hot chocolate. But I, I took, the, took one for the team. I was waiting in line. And, you know, the, 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 the carol, that, you know, some Christmas carols, man, that just takes me closer to God. Some, it's like fingers on a chalkboard. Is it just me? No? Okay. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Now, right now, someone's like, I'm angry with you, Scott. That's my favorite Christmas carol. <laughs> I'm telling you, four hours into an experience of the Christmas spirit, when the most wonderful, I'm sitting there, I wasn't feeling it. People are walking by on the street, and I swear, this one guy, he went by just laughing at me. He's like, you sucker, there's a Santa at the Macy's, no line. What are you doing? All right, so like Christmas spirit is this kind of subjective feeling that we're trying to get. Is it the bell at the end of Polar Express? Is it, you know, holding hands at the end of the Grinch as they sing, the old one, not the new one? You know, we, we, want, we want to be in the spirit. But if we're actually thinking about what it means to be in the Christmas spirit, it means outside of trips to Santa and gingerbread and and all of the things that make this season special, most important is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Most important, if we're actually trying to get in the Christmas spirit, would be an encounter with the Spirit of God in us and through us that in this most chaotic season, we might have an experience of Jesus. That's what the Spirit is. 
And as we turn to Isaiah 11, as we think about this pursuit of the spirit, of the third person of the Godhead, of the presence of God that was left with us, the people of God, the spirit is God's personal presence. Spirit, the Hebrew word ruah is the same word used in Isaiah 11. The spirit of God is upon him. We'll talk about it specifically, Isaiah 11. This word, ruah, say it with me, ruah, like something stuck in the back of your throat, ruah, it it was the the word spoken over creation, where the, the, the ruah, the spirit of God spoken over unformed waters and creation happened, ruah, the spirit of God, the breath of God given to us, the people of God. And the prophet Isaiah here in this amazingly beautiful poetry, this imagery in Isaiah 11 that's both talking about the end times, talking about the arrival of Christ, talking to a current context that's experiencing war and exile, as Anna talked about last week. In the midst of all that, there's this pursuit, says Isaiah, of the gift of the Spirit. There is no faith in Jesus, friends, without the Spirit. It just isn't. And I know at times at churches like ours, we can focus a lot on the person of Christ as an angle to learn more about the Father of God. And meanwhile, as we say sometimes, the, the Spirit of God is kind of the invisible piece of the Trinity. And so we turn to Isaiah 11, and there are a lot of different angles into the text, but the word that God wanted me to share with you, my people, is this message, new fruit from the Spirit. That by the end of Isaiah, and we're only going to preach on the first 11 verses that God is calling us to be so full of his knowledge, like, like the water covering the seas of the earth, that we're supposed to be in this relational knowledge of God where we are filled with the Spirit. And we sometimes in the church, and I, I, I fall kind of victim to this at times as well, like we have this false dichotomy, whether we want to know something or experience something, whether we want to know something or feel something. Do we know something or feel something? But in the Hebrew word for knowledge, it's all wrapped up into one. This word da'at means to know and to experience. Da'at means to to know something fully. And then those of you that grew up in Sunday school are kind of elbowing the person next to you because they to know someone in the Old Testament, that's like, oh yeah, that that meant something more, right? That's that's the word da'at. It means to know. And so when Isaiah is saying, this is what you're supposed to be so full of, This knowledge of head and heart bringing dead things to life so that we might experience the spirit of God, us, the people of God. And so I want to just kind of make this super easy for us today because sometimes I get kind of in my head and I come up with these these outlines and you walk out the door and like, what did Scott teach on? It's like, I don't know. Today we're going to talk about the Spirit of God and the the work of the Spirit and these three rhyming words, to grow and to blow and to know all of it that we might fully experience the Spirit of God as his people. Can we do that this morning? Are you in? Okay. Three of you, I'm excited about. The rest of you are like, we'll see how this goes. Okay. New fruit from the Spirit grows. Let's start simply here. Verse 1. New fruit from the Spirit grows. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Pause. The context in Isaiah is super important. 
Because there's different scholars that say there's maybe different contributors to the book of Isaiah, and some of us, like, our mind blows there, so we don't need to go there. But there's certainly different aspects of Isaiah. While Israel's in captivity, while they're coming back to captivity, what you need to know is this was written to a people at war, either in war, post-war, pre-war, things are happening around them that look like destruction. And in Isaiah 10, God says about the enemies, like a forest, they'll be cut down. Isaiah 10, see the Lord Almighty will lop off the boughs, same imagery of trees, with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He'll cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And so Isaiah 11, verse 1 starts, it is in those places where things have been cut down that new life grows. Super, super important. This imagery of things being cut down is both true of the nation of Israel who by their actions and their disconnection from the Spirit of God allowed themselves to be wooed into captivity. But here specifically, Isaiah seems to be saying like those things that oppress you will be cut down and from the stumps will grow. Now, two things to just highlight as you're looking at your Bible, and you should be looking at your Bible. A shoot will come. It's not a maybe. The shoot will come. And the roots are his roots. That personal pronoun matters a great deal. You have this thing from the stump to the roots, to the branches, to the fruit. And the shoot will come, says Isaiah. And from his roots, the branch will bear fruit. Now, I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in the woods. I grew up cutting firewood, you know, finding the right place to lay your axe. Like, this would be a perfect place to split this wood because you always, you always cut with the grain. And in a block of wood like this that came from my wood pile this morning, like, there's no mistaking it, is there? There's just nothing going to come from this. Like, we'll burn it. We'll split it. We'll burn it. Maybe if we got desperate, we could cook over it. So I guess that you could kind of take that leap that something good could come from the waste of it. But certainly, nothing's growing anymore. It's dead. And yet Isaiah chooses this very profound language and says, when it's things that look like a stump, is where God wants to bring fruit. It's interesting. The things that look dead in Christ will bear fruit. Now, Isaiah is certainly laying prophecy about what will grow out of the Davidic roots that Jesus is coming from the bloodline of David, even though Israel has walked away and the kings have gone bad, that something is coming. The prophecy is about the coming king, Messiah, Jesus, certainly. It's historically true. In addition to that, Isaiah is reminding us that new fruit doesn't grow from full vines but from stumps. New fruit in our lives will often feel like, at the beginning, death. And and I don't know about you, but these things seem to me totally, totally different. If we're going to talk about fruit, well, then let's talk about fruit. Let's talk about things that grow, things that have life and vitality and, and an ability to sustain and an ability to, to feel good and release joy. And I mean, you can, can you smell this sitting in the front row? No? Okay, just wink and nod. Yeah, yeah, you can. 
It's so fragrant. If we're talking about fruit, man, it's incredible, right? This is fruit. But in God's new economy, says Isaiah, the things that look like they're dead inside of you, that's exactly where God wants to grow you. Okay, and if it's okay with you, I want to just, I want to preach a little bit, okay? Can I just open this up for us a little bit? Because if you're like me, when we start to look at the places that are not fruitful, we think that God's forsaken us or forgotten us. We're not exactly sure what God's done, but our eyes behold the stump and we say, God, there's no fruit here. There's no fruit here. And some of you in this room, you're begging for the fruit, and God's saying, I'm already at work within you. Maybe someone in this room is letting go of a stump this morning. Maybe somebody in this room has been clinging to the image of what life was going to be like, and God says, I'm going to do it differently. Because the promise of fruit in Christ is a promise from the stump to the roots, to the branches, to the fruit, the shoot will come, life will come, growth will come, goodness will come. Let go of the places of your past where you're certain that God has made a mistake in your life. Because when you allow God victory over your past, the prophecy is certainty in your future. And so, so many of us, we're holding on to our hurts. We're holding on to our stumps. We're holding on to the relationships that have not been fulfilling or the career path that turned out surprising or the 401k that's taken a dip. And we say, God, I don't see the fruit. The people of God are called to believe that from the stumps is where God wants to grow us. In John 15, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. Now, you've heard that verse 1,000 times if you've grown up anywhere near the church, but I want to read it for you again, that Jesus says, my father is the gardener. He cuts, what's the verb? He cuts every branch in me that bears no fruit, while in every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. I don't know if there's any gardeners in the room, but I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of spell it out for you. Everything gets cut, okay? Uh, the stuff that's not bearing fruit, God, take it away from me. The stuff that is bearing fruit needs to be pruned down so that it can grow more full. You spend time in your gardens this fall. You know, those plants in your, in your garden that you were the most proud of probably got the most attention to be cut down, is there something in your life that God wants to cut down? Is there some place in your life of unfruitfulness that you've been pursuing and God's like, leave it be? That relationship or that old dream or that old hurt or, the, or your wish for how that person's health prognosis, let it be and trust me. And are there things that God is doing in you that feel like pruning and God says, will you trust me? Because the things in which he wants to grow in us will often look like they're being cut. Well, that's, that's a hard word for us, the people of God. What does God desire to chop down in your life that is unhealthy fruit? And how might God grow new life out of the stump that you see in your health? 
in your relationships, in your career, in your seasonal depression. Might God this morning be asking for more trust that from the thing that looks like a stump, God says, I want fruit for you. I want fruit for you. I want fruit for you. And we can throw every aphorism and cliche at you at this point to say it's at the darkest evenings that the brightest light first shines. Or we can quote my mentor, Jerry Sitzer, who we've spoken about before, lost in a car accident, mother, wife, daughter, while he survived with three other kids. And he spoke about hope in the very darkest part of his night. He realized the fastest way to hope was into the night. And there are places that feel like stumps that Jesus is saying, will you let me back in? Will you let me back in, church? There's places that feel like stumps. Will you let me back in and let me grow something in you and let me grow something through you? We say this thing, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but I have no doubts for the people of God that when we look on the stumps and the hurt and the pain and the, the, the dip, God, what are you doing here? There's an opportunity for new growth. How do you know, Scott? How do you know? You don't, you don't know. I mean, I, I love him and he's really sick. How can that be new growth? Scott, I, I love them and I'm not sure what relationship we're gonna have into the future. I'm worried for my future, and you want to speak to me about growth, church. It is the stumps that the fruit comes out of. On Tuesday, just five days ago, we as a family celebrated the stump of our life. Stump. Well, tell us more, Scott. Well, if you've been coming, you know a bit of my story try to temper it and not make it part of every message, but it's part of my story. The 10 years ago, last Tuesday, was the stump moment of our life, where my pregnant nine-month wife found out that our son Fisher, though he had had hiccups in the morning, had passed in the afternoon, and we had to walk over in December 11th, 2008, and deliver our unborn son into the world. No ruach, no breath, no life. Total stump. And what we've learned in 10 years, and we're not done learning, is that God didn't take that baby, that God didn't cut that baby down, but that God has brought fruit from our stumps. And from our pain, we've learned to love better, him and each other. From my children's pain, they've learned empathy and compassion. The things that look like stumps might be your greatest ability to reach the world. Am I talking to anybody in the room this morning? Am I talking to anybody? There's so many of us. We're clinging to the stumps. And Jesus is saying, trust me, trust me. There's something sprouting for you. Something sprouting in you. The Spirit grows always in faith. And then secondly, verse two, and we're gonna have to pick this up or we're gonna be here all day. New fruit from the spirit always blows. There's always movement. There's always movement with God's spirit. There's always movement. Look at verse two. Verse two, 
Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And in Hebrew poetry, there's this technique used where the first line of the poetry kind of states a truism, and, and then lines B, C, and D will define that truism. So the spirit of the Lord is upon him. That's a truism. What kind of spirit? We'll look at the rest of verse 2. It's wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear, this wind. This, this breath of God is always moving through Christ to us, the people of God, to advocate and inspire and challenge and to bring us life. John 14, 16, Jesus says, if you love me and keep my commands, notice they're connected. That's a different sermon for a different day. If you love me and keep my commands, says Christ, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You know him, he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I am in you, says Jesus. This word advocate that the NIV translates is the actual, the Greek word is paraclete, paraclete. And so there's a lot of different variations of what the spirit is. But here Jesus says, the spirit of God will advocate for you, this paracletus. And it was a word in the Roman Empire that meant basically you, you never went alone. In the Roman Empire, soldiers were marching. Remember, the biggest empire the world has ever seen came right in the, at the apex of Christ's life. And you, in the Roman Empire, when you went into new battles, you never fought alone. You always went with two, if not more. And in Roman warfare, the, the two soldiers would often go back to back with a shield and, and a sword, back to back. You've got my back, I've got your, I've got your forward. And, and back to back, Back to back. You know what they call this back person? This is the paraclete. This is the advocate. This is the one who fights for you. This is the one who's got your back. So, so when Jesus says, that's, that's who I will be in you when I send the Spirit, you'll have one fighting in you. You'll have one fighting for you. You will never walk alone because the Spirit of God will live in you. This is, this is what the, the Spirit is, is supposed to be doing in us, this blowing through us, that we were to be made to be full of God's Spirit, God's Spirit blowing in us and through us, fighting with us, advocating for us. They say that people will always follow a leader who's always real and not one who is always right. And so if you would allow me, church, I would like to be real with you for a moment that some of my greatest victories as a pastor are times when I've been totally relinquished to the power of the Spirit. Some of my, my, my finest moments, I really had very little to do with because there's one who's fighting with me. And if I can repent to you, church, it's because the Spirit of God, I, I've been such a novice. I, I remain a novice, but I'm hungry and if you're hungry for the Spirit, the Spirit longs to move through you. Because there's so many of our churches, remember the Spirit's been the invisible third person of the Trinity. Who's that? We haven't seen him for a while. Let me confess to you something. Two weeks ago, in this very spot, I prayed over something I wanted to say to you, the church. Something I wanted us to experience together. And there was this nudge. You ever have a nudge? I mean, we call them goosebumps. Who are the geese that we're giving all the credit to? Maybe those are Jesus bumps, right? 
Like, enough with the geese. I'm not, I hate birds anyway. Enough with the goosebumps. I had the Jesus bumps. And I knew what I needed to say. And I was just, I was going to talk about advocacy and I was going to, I was going to walk around. And if you came at the first service, you missed it. You totally missed it. Man, you should have been here at 1030. Spirit of God was doing all sorts of crazy things, right? How? Because I was available. And I was so fearful at the first service. And then afterwards, I prayed. And I'm like, God, what just happened? It didn't, it didn't really land like the Jesus bump said you were going to land. And again, this is the knowledge of the head and the heart. We're not going for a show. We're going for an encounter with the risen Lord. But it just it didn't land. And God says, are you going to keep trusting yourself or are you going to trust me once in a while? Listen to the Spirit as it blows and, and moves you and motivates you and brings your faith to life. Second service, I want to do that, Jesus. And so I did the thing and we walked around and the words are on the page, but they're being spoken and the Spirit of God started to fall into this place. I don't know how. And some of you are like, this is unique and uncomfortable for me, all right? I was raised as a Baptist or a Pentecostal or whatever. You know, it's like, I don't know what's happening either. But I'm telling you, two weeks ago, I experienced closed off to spirit, eh, encounter the spirit, movement, blowing, people saying yes, people walking out of there saying something happened for me today, something got unstuck, this is the point. May you encounter the spirit as it wants to blow into your life and blow into your stale marriage and blow into your retirement and blow, Lord Jesus, would you help me be a recipient of that kind of wind this morning? The spirit blows. And and then finally, fruit from the spirit, really this is the heart of the passage about knowing God in this deeply experiential way. Look at verse 6 through 8, that our relationships will be different because the Spirit of God on them. Verse 6 through 8, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. It's so beautiful. The cow will feed with the bear, and their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Isaiah kind of says that when we, when we live in such a way that the Spirit of God is growing things from our dead places and, and moving in us like how Christ wants to live in us, that we'll have, we'll have new relationships one to another. This was the same piece of scripture that Martin Luther King, when he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo, Norway, he quoted the imagery from, from Isaiah 11. This is the kind of work that makes us reconcilers one to another, where we're like, you know, the world feels like a bit of a viper's nest, but I'm just going to go ahead and reach my hand in there, because that seems like a really wise thing to do. It doesn't. But the Spirit of God changes our earthly relationships. It's certainly true in the afterlife. It's called to be part of the present life. This is why the church matters, because I can podcast inspiration, but I can't podcast community. I can't, if you're listening to this later, we really missed you here on December 16th, 2018. Because the only way to connect is to show up. 
And when the Spirit of God moves in your life, I bear witness to that and inspires and challenges something in my life. And we're meant to be reconcilers where the Spirit of God is changing the way, our relationships with nature, our relationship one to another. And then what comes from that, look at verse 9, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Have I ever told you the one where I went fishing? On the, no, I'm not going to tell you a fishing story right now. I'm sorry, Paul. I don't have a fishing story for you. But this is what it's about. The knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 2, knowledge. Verse 9, knowledge. The Hebrew word knowledge is this da'at, which is both the head and the heart, to know and to experience. Our Western language breaks down because, well, you can know it, but not know it. But in the Hebrew, to know someone meant to know someone, all right? You know what I'm talking about. And this is what God's talking about, not in a profound way, but in a profane way, but a profound way. That when we encounter the Holy Spirit, it's called to be in our lives so deeply that we know God differently. We know God differently. Look at verse 9 here. They will neither harm nor destroy, destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I dug into that a little bit this, this week of what is this holy mountain of the Lord? What is this gathering spot? And what Isaiah is doing is actually kind of hyperlinking to Micah 4. In the last days, Micah 4 says, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, will be exalted above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths that we may walk in his path. The knowledge that Isaiah is calling us to makes us walk differently. Makes us walk differently. That when, we, when we worship like that, when we gather God, and, and, and this would be the holy mountain, anywhere where the people of God are coming for an indwelling of the spirit, it means we, we walk differently. And when you walk like that and the spirit of God is over you, well, verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. So if you've got your Bible open, there's a promise in verse 1 of a shoot from the root of Jesse to verse 10 from the tribe of Jesse, a banner. A banner day. The best day because of the Spirit of God living in you, changing you, filling you. You know, We kind of look at this balloon and say, yeah, is it, is it full? Is it full of air? It's full at some point. Is there a capacity for more? Is there a capacity for more? I asked you church this morning with the spirit of God for you, the people of God. Is there capacity for more? More of a spirit more of his joy, more of his love, more of his peace. The Spirit longs to fill us. And God's been saying something to me for a long time that for a lot of us, we're just missing it. We're missing a lot of what God wants to do in us and through us. There's a word of judgment in Isaiah, Isaiah 11 through Christ striking the earth, empowering people, changing relationships. 
There's also promise of growth through the Spirit. Growing you. Blowing and moving through you to know and experience Him. May we be a church hungry for that kind of encounter, that kind of truth, that kind of experience, moving our head, moving our hearts, encountering the Spirit. Let me say a prayer towards that end right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for this church in this season and this hunger for the Spirit. And here in the season of Advent, Lord God, we praise you for the fruit from the stump of Jesse. And God, this morning we want to relinquish the places of our life that look like stumps. And Lord, with hunger and anticipation, we are craving for more fruit, more of the stuff that you've given through the Spirit. And Lord God, there are people in this room right now who feel like they're just slowly exhaling. Lord God, would you give them a fresh inhale, a fresh filling of your Spirit? Would you, Spirit, so come into this place and into our lungs right now that like the very ruah over creation, Lord, you embolden us and bring us alive. Will you remind some in the room, God, they are not fighting alone. They have one fighting at their back. Lord God, would you move us to a people who know stuff, to, to, to be people who experience you. Lord God, we're, we're hungry for that kind of encounter. We're so hungry. We're so willing. Would you fill us now? We ask and beg and pray. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? We've darkened the lights on purpose because oftentimes in this room, it can be a self-conscious space. And I have full anticipation that the Spirit of God is speaking to you, the people of God, this morning. I will not put words in the Spirit's mouth, but this bowl of fruit is convicting for some. God wants to take your eyes off the stumps and remind you of the fruit. And so as we close in worship, do whatever you need to do for a fresh filling of the Spirit. There are prayer people down front if you want to pray. Sit in your seat. Raise your hands, close your eyes, sit down. It doesn't matter your posture, but open your heart because the Spirit wants to so fill you with Him this morning. Let's close in song and response.